0: our next speaker here had privilege to hear for the first time almost 14 years ago in a uh, Sunday school class uh, at the church that my wife and I were uh, uh, later married at. And uh, the class was a uh, Mr. and Mrs. class. Um, I was hardly a a Mr. and she was uh, not yet a Mrs. And uh, Bob Foster is a, uh, uh, as Dale described him as a is a giant. Um, we all have role models in our life, and he certainly uh, certainly has been one in mine. Um, An encouragement, uh, you won't walk away from here tonight the same person, I guarantee it. Um, Bob and, and Marion, uh, his wife, just celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary. So, uh, Bob, why don't you come on up and, and share with us? Thank you, Joe. Thank you. Looking at Dream Valley here, which is what the Jewish owner from Denver calls his piece of property that we lease up north of here, about five miles. I was sitting over there listening to that lovely testimony of the grace of God and uh, realizing that just around the curve of the valley here are some buildings and an open spot and each September a group of us take a three or four day pack trip and that's where we end up and uh, we're looking west that's Buffalo Peak which you see over here north and west of us from the valley here. And this particular night, uh, we'd finished around the campfire and we were getting into our sleeping bags and this doctor from St. Louis said, can I spread my bag out next to yours? And I said, sure, Dave. And it was a beautiful starlit night the coyotes were howling. He said, you're going to go to sleep right away? And I said, no, Dave, you want to talk? And He said, yeah. He said, after what some of these fellows said around the campfire, I realized that I'm not a Christian. How does a fellow at my age get to know who this Jesus Christ is personally so we chatted a few minutes about the plan of salvation and I said all you have to do is just talk to God and tell him what you are who he is and what you'd like to have him do in your life So said would you like to do that and he said yeah I said okay go ahead complete silence so I said, uh, "Well, after a few minutes, I was like this, looking up at the stars and praying. I said, Dave, uh, aren't you going to do it? He says, yeah. I said, well, it's been silence. He says, well, I wasn't talking to you. I was talking to God. <laughs> I said, well, why don't you verbalize it? Say it out loud. And I said, that way I can sort of second the motion. He said, well, I've never prayed aloud in front of anybody. And I said, well, just pretend I'm not here. You just talk to God. And uh, he said, well, that's what I've been doing. He said, I started back when I was a kid and I was just telling God all about my sins. I said, Dave, the sun will come up in the morning and you will still be talking about your sins. (laughs) I said, you can't confess them all, just acknowledge you're a sinner. And he said, I don't have to tell him all of them. I said, he knows them all. He knows sins that you've forgotten about. Oh, he said, uh, boy, I'm not sure I can do this. I said, just talk to God just like you talk to your friends. So we're, but he saw me like this. so I guess he figured that was the spiritual way to be. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so he, and this was his prayer. Dear God, please get off my back and come down into my heart. Uh, Bob, is that enough? <laughs> I said, yeah, that said it. And I remind him of the thief on the cross, you know. Just remember me in paradise. Isn't that neat? That's what you did, huh? The hound dog of heaven is the Holy Spirit. And uh, he just keeps after us, keeps after us, and then we submit to him and... That's the thrilling story that, why for 34 years we've been here at the ranch, and I'm sure like many of you fellows, you feel like being a maverick, These two characters over here constantly have to push them back into the herd. Uh, They don't want to be a part of it. They're loners. (laughs) Want to do their own thing, go their own way, get up there into the aspen, and, uh, we're so grateful that God has given us this beautiful valley. Forgive me for dropping the name, but when Mr. Walt Disney was here, he said to me, uh, Foster, he said, what you need here, I'd, I'd ask him the question, if you had this place, what would you do with it? And he said, well, you've done too damn much already. <laughs> You're going to erase that and uh, I said we have and he said yes he said because already when people drive in here he said there is therapy just in nature and he said already their hearts are prepared as far as I know Mr. Disney was not a believer um, he believed that man basically was good with his Christian science philosophy and his wife was a Mormon and that was the culmination of his funeral three months later. But we're so grateful that the heavens declare the glory of God. huh? The earth showeth his handiwork day unto day utter his speech, night into night showeth his knowledge. And whether it be a Dave, they're on a pack trip up in the valley here or the traveling public across America. We're just privileged to be in this kind of a situation. Uh, I'd like to have all you fellows who have come from the Cleveland area, the contingent from Ohio, would you stand? I'd love to see where you are. Just if you're, oh, you're all together, oh, what are you doing over there? <laughs> oh, over there, huh? Okay, you can be seated. And I want to apologize to you fellas, because my opening remarks have to do with a ball game. Oh! <laughs> Graciously, in this part of the country called the drive. (laughs) Cleveland had the game in their back pocket. Elway and the boys were back 97, 98 yards from a touchdown. And and the dogs were howling. Boy, they were bane. They had Denver right where they wanted. Except in the huddle, there on the two or three yard line. Facing just a, what, less than two minutes to go, down to just tie the game. One of the guys in the huddle says, Let's go, guys. We got them right where we want them. 98 yards away. You guys remember that game, don't you? (laughs) And I simply repeat it so you don't forget it. Uh, (laughs) The sign of a good teacher is repetition, and uh, <laughs> <clears throat> as Dan picked up the phone and said, "Mom, you tell Jane that I'm gonna." win this one for her. And before Dan Jansen in 1986 could go out to the Olympics in Calgary, Jane went into eternity. And you remember how on the first curve he slipped and went right into the fencing (coughs) This was the second time. Started out at 18 years of age. Supposed to be the world's fastest speed skater. Failed in the Olympics. So able. Another chance. Four years later. Failed again. Calgary came. Now in Norway, a fourth chance. As I was listening to CBS the other morning, preparing everybody for the Olympics of that day, when Dan would try, he missed the 500 meter, now his last chance with the 1,000. The commentator from Norway said most fellows would have quit, given up. Three times is supposed to be a charm and he's missed it. He's won every medal, he's won 30 national uh, titles, but never the Olympics. But in his heart, he feels he's going to keep pressing, pressing till he wins. He's going to reach for the gold. And that was pretty much the end of the comments about Dan Jansen. And of course, you know, here a couple days ago, why he did win the 1,000 and set a new world record in doing it. His first Olympic medal. And I want to tell you fellows tonight, the older you get, it doesn't get easier. You look back over your life and think <laughs> at some point, you know you've got a lot of victories and a lot of things that have gone your way and it must smooth out and just sort of head for home the downhill grade in the last year or so a verse has come to have new meaning for me it's an old verse many of you guys probably have memorized it you've read it you've heard sermons on it etc it's Luke 962. And I'd like to, if you have your Bibles, back up to the 57th verse of the 9th chapter of Luke and read to you, read with you, that portion of Scripture. Follow along, I'm reading in the authorized version, and we'll back up a little later on and get the setting for what Jesus had to say to three young fellows that wanted to be a part of his team they wanted to go for the gold i'm sure they had seen things happening in and around the land of palestine their home people healed Miracles taking place, thousands being fed, all kinds of stories about this so-called Messiah. And our reading begins with verse 57. And it came to pass after that, as they were on their way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee wherever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. And Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I'll follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell who are at home in my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man. Having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Those are tough apples. That is hard saying. We kind of look at Christianity, you know, as some kind of a a club where we're asked to join, some kind of an organization where we can sign up and pay our dues and with a certain amount of respectability be accepted. A little bit like a fraternity where we try out and uh, the committee feels like, yeah, he'd be a, a good guy to be with us. And after initiation, why, we are part of the Greeks. We got all ideas of what Christianity is on our terms. And I wager tonight among the hundred of us, we all want to be his disciples as long as we can somewhat call the shots. Within certain parameters, <laughs> Lord, I want to follow you. I want to be called a Christian, a Christ one. I want to be known as one who's put their trust in you. But Lord, there's certain, you know, part of my life. And Jesus said unto him, No man. Pretty categorical, huh? No man. (laughs) No exceptions. No man. Having put his hand to the plow. And what's the next statement? And looking back. That's why, as you get older, Boy, it's easy to look in the rear view mirror. To look back. For the good old days. For what it used to be. For the walk I used to have. For the relationship there used to be. No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit. Distracted. The Greek word used here. Is only used three times. In the New Testament. And it. It doesn't have so much the idea. Of being useless. Or worthless. As it has to. The idea of. Not being suited. For the task. It's sort of being. Being. A square in trying to fit into a round hole. That if you have once put your hand to the plow and looking back, you just don't fit. Obviously, a weakness, a flaw. But Gail's been talking about obedience, lack thereof. So this verse says, Come into my repossession. <laughs> no man, Bob, that's you, 74 years of age, having put his hand to the plow, looking back, is fit. I would presume that greatest percentage of guys here you have put your hand to the plow do you have that stickability that you're going to finish well 2nd Timothy 4.10 one of the most tragic verses that I'm sure Paul ever had to pen he's writing to his youngest disciple Timothy, the first Timothy. Demas hath forsaken me. Having looked back. Having loved this present evil world. Paul, that must have been tough. His buddy. Think of the weeks and the months, maybe years, that Demas had traveled with Paul. Gone through all that they'd gone through. Yet there was something down in there that kept him. Having put his hand to the plow, he looked back and left. I'm sure many of you think of the story out of Sodom and Gomorrah with Lot and his wife. She looked back for the same reason, longing for that life back there in the big city. One of my favorite authors in the business of leadership and the psychology of leading an organization is Thomas Buckner. Listen to one of his quotes. I'm quoting from him now. Most affairs that require serious handling are distasteful. For that reason, I've always believed that the successful man has the hardest battle with himself rather than with other men. To bring oneself to a frame of mind and heart and to the proper energy to accomplish things that require plain hard work continuously is one big battle that every man in leadership has. When this battle is won once for all, seemingly everything else becomes easy. What he's saying is, if you put your hand to the plow, no matter how tough the going, you're gonna stay with it. Dad was in personnel work and we were living in downtown Chicago. Well, we'd moved to the—excuse me. Dad was working in downtown. I was—we were living on the north shore, and I was getting ready to go to Sen High School. Had enough problems of his own. It would be good to get him on to a farm. Folks had a summer home up in uh, Lake Ripley, Wisconsin. Little town there called Cambridge and the local Presbyterian church there my folks had become acquainted with a German family Phil and Agnes Walworth they had a farm and dad just mentioned to Phil I've got a young teenager and if you ever need a free hand thanks dad uh, why we'd like to see him spend a summer on the farm so the next summer I was on the farm with this German family. The mother was still living. The older grandmother, she'd come right from Germany, spoke very little English. And uh, real Germans. Uh, Realized this is a good many years ago, and tractors were just coming in. But uh, Phil had two team of horses. And uh, Danny and Daisy of the team that he let me learn on, big Belgians. We had 60 milk cows, most of them Holsteins, a few Guernseys, just uh, add to the butterfat content of the milk and he would not use machines that would ruin the tits and the udder. And so we milked them all by hand. Here was this young kid out of Chicago after a full day, milking, helping to milk 60 cows. But the toughest one of all, and my delight, was when he took me out to the end of the summer. field was a big oak tree, right in the middle. and uh, The plow he'd put down into the ground, and he had taken the reins and he'd wrapped them around my waist And he said, now, Bobby, just head for that oak tree. Just keep your eye on that oak tree. That is the center of the field. Just head right for it. And uh, I had my hand and I had rain in this hand and rain in this hand on the handles. And before I knew it, why, he had swatted Danny on the rump. And those big old Belgians leaned into that thing, and that plow began to turn the dirt. Man, was that exciting for a city kid. there was that oak tree. And we got down probably about 20 yards down into the field, and it was probably a little longer than a football field, so let's say 120 yards. We were right about there. And uh, I said, Phil, how am I doing? No answer. I said, Phil, am I doing it right? And those horses just pulling as if they knew where that oak tree was. No answer. So I looked around. And Phil wasn't there. And I was walking. The next thing I knew, as I had looked around... I had pulled just by looking. So Danny and Daisy were heading over toward the corner of the field. And of course the plow came out of the ground. And by this time, we are over here. And I had no idea how to get back in it again. Well, Phil had gone to take a leak over by a tree. (laughs) And I stopped that exercise real fast when he saw where I was going. And he wore coveralls, and uh, he was butting them up and running at the same time. And here I am over in the side of the field with Danny and Daisy and a plow chair out of the ground. Young teenage kid. He just laughed i didn't see anything to laugh at all it was you know tragic he said what happened i said well danny and daisy decided to take off he says no they didn't decide to take off what happened well i think we must have hit a rock or something and it threw the (laughs) plow out (laughs) mommy what happened boy that was tough to say uh Mr. Walworth, I was looking for you. He didn't quote this verse to me. But it's what happened, huh? Get your Bibles open. Notice the first verse of the 10th chapter. After these things, after this situation with these men... The Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself would go. He sent them two by two before his face. He wasn't going to ask them to go someplace where he wouldn't go. And he also noticed the word he appointed 70 also. So let's go back to the first verse of the ninth chapter. Luke 9.1 Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said unto them, take Nothing for your journey, neither staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money. Neither have two coats apiece, and so forth. You see, in 9-1, he sends his 12 out. In ten one, he sends the 70 out. And in between those two, he gives implicit instructions of what it's going to mean if you want to be one of my men. And he concludes it, if you decide, I want to put my hand to the plow, okay, buddy, but there'll be no looking back. You have to decide. You are a volunteer. (laughs) You're not conscripted. You don't have to. But if you decide you're going to do it, do it. Soon after he had sent his men out in the ninth chapter, well, look at verse 23 of chapter 9. He said unto his men, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever would save his life will lose it. Whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man profited if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come into his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. And then the great transfiction story Peter, James, and John going up into the mountain and they're meeting Elijah and Moses. And man, what a time that must have been. Man, Lord, this is great being up here at Lost Valley. Let's build a large roundup room. Let's just stay up here. Jesus said, no, we got to be- get back down there where the people are. And so, verse 37, It came to pass on the next day when they were come down from the mountain, many people met him. And behold, a man of the company cried out, saying, Master, I beseech thee, look upon my son, he's my only son. A spirit takes him, and he suddenly cries out, and it tears him, so he foameth again, and bruising him, hardly departing, barely departing from him. And I uh, besought thy disciples to cast him out, and they could not. And Jesus answering, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son to me. And as he was coming, the demon threw him down and tore him. And Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the child, And delivered him again to his father. Now notice four things that the disciples did. Number one in verse 43, they were astonished at the mighty power of God and they marveled every one at all things that Jesus did. He said unto his disciples, when we really get to know Jesus Christ in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his suffering which we'll have the privilege to do in just a little while in communion we're fearful and we're absolutely astonished when you get to know Jesus the one you say I want to be his man Then you see what he can do when we're powerless. But then notice, he says to them in verse 44, Let these sayings sink down into years, for the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. But they understood not. And it was hidden from them that they perceived it not, and they feared to ask him of that saying. He tries to explain to us what he's doing and because of our eyes being darkened and we just haven't spent enough time with him, we don't believe. The third thing, verse 46, and there arose a reasoning among them which of them should be the greatest of all the things to come up at that time. Jesus had just done this miracle. they just come down, Peter, James, and John, from the Mount of Transfiguration. Now they begin to discuss among themselves, argue, dispute, who's going to be the greatest? And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, Took a child and set him by him and said unto them, Whosoever shall receive this child in my name receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me receiveth him that sent me. For he that is least among you all, the same shall be great. Proud and argumentative. We're the leader of CBMC we're an elder in our church we've led so many guys to the Lord like notches on our gun we're a discipler we're a discipler of disciplers down to the third and fourth you know in that sense wow is God using me If Billy Graham's going to be there, Lord, in the kingdom, any chance I can be fairly close to him? You know? You ever think about that? You know? Now, Walt, he doesn't think that. He thinks, now John Calvin's going to be there. (laughs) I I just like to sit at John Calvin's feet, Lord. The disciples, who's going to be number one? Who's top dog? If you're in charge, you are the servant. By the way, that's one of the most difficult things we have here at the ranch is getting this wonderful staff that we have. And we do have a great staff. Right now we have about 25 or 30. This summer we'll have about 60. And to, because of the climate in which we live these days and the culture and uh, the affluency of our society, it's hard to get young people to want to be servants. I like to be waited on. I hate to have to wait on somebody else. I'm surprised the number of girls that have never had to clean a toilet don't know how to really make a bed. How to scoop manure. Love to take rides, huh? Be out there in the lead. Jesus said, hey, if you are in charge, then you will be the servant. And then the last thing in verse 49. And and John answered and said, Master, we saw one casting out demons in thy name, and we forbade him because he followed not with us. And Jesus said unto him, Forbid him not, for he that is not against us is for us. The bigotry of their heart. Then he goes on. It came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up. He steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. He moved steadfastly forward with an iron will. And people saw that face and they saw in that eye and the set of the chin and the purpose. Here was a man who would not be deterred, who would not be (laughs) sidetracked. No matter what the circumstances, he kept his eye on the oak tree. No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. He steadfastly set his face. He left behind him his loved ones in Galilee. He left behind him the applause of all of Palestine. He set aside. The love and warmth. Of the home at Bethany. With Mary and Martha. And Lazarus. He had a job to do. And in singleness. Of purpose. He headed for it. You see that's what communion is all about he shed his blood the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God the Lamb of God that was slain from the foundation of the earth long before there was man God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit planned our eternal redemption and the son was to be that lamb was to shed his blood was to give his life was to be buried third day come forth into life and he set his face and the disciple is no greater than his master and Jesus said unto this man, No man having put his hand to the plow and looked back is fit. Where are you coming from tonight? Huh? What's the Holy Spirit been speaking to you about? Maybe the last days? particularly the last 24 hours looking around comparing yourself with other guys it's always greener on the other side of the fence looking back hey Phil where are you Phil just you and Danny and Daisy and some birds back there picking up the worms from the new turned earth you're all All by yourself. Luke 9.62 And Jesus said unto him. Said unto who? The man who said. I'll follow you. But let me first. Go bid them farewell. That are at home in my house. See family ties. With that guy. Is not wrong. But that little word in there. First. It was a priority with him. Whether it be a day, a week, six six months. But when the time comes after I've settled the affairs at home, then I'll do it. See, the first guy, too soft, or too quick, rather. I'll follow you whithersoever you, you go, I'll go. She said, no, I don't have a home. I don't have a set menu. I don't have a wardrobe. I don't have the things of this earth. And the guy just evaporated. The second guy came to him. He said, I'd like to follow you, but let me first bury my dad. In the Jewish tradition The eldest son was responsible to stay with the dad until the dad was dead. Most commentators feel that the dad hadn't died, wasn't probably even on his deathbed, but I need to take care of things at home. And when that responsibility is taken care of, then I'll come and follow you. Too fast, too soft, too loose. Then he says, Bob, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. I told you about David praying Lord get off my back and come down into my heart a fellow from Fort Wayne Indiana was here that week by the name of Dave Norton and Dave had just accepted the Lord a year or so before here at the range and St. Louis and Fort Wayne are not all that far apart and so Dave said I I'd like to get some time. And so for the next year, the two Daves got together. And then Dave Norton called me and said, Bob, I can't get a hold of Dr. Dave. He doesn't answer my call and he just seems to not want to be in touch. So I called him in St. Louis, the doctor. and I caught him at home. And I said, "I'm going to be in St. Louis, visiting with some friends, the Billings, and she'll like to see, you. "Oh man, Bob, love to see you." And so when Marion and I were there in St. Louis, we went out on the west side of the city, Chesterfield, where Dr. Dave was living. And there's nothing wrong in having an impressive home. There's nothing wrong with having a four-car garage. But I had an uneasy feeling as I parked way back on the landing strip and walked probably 20 yards or so up towards the house. And uh, his wife came out and said he isn't back, he isn't home from the hospital yet or the office come on in, we knew her, went in and she said, by the way, you might like to see uh, Dave's hobby. I said, "Uh, does he have a hobby besides medicine? He said, oh, he said, yeah. She said, "Uh, I'm in second, third, fourth place besides this hobby. And uh, rather than opening up one of the doors, we went into the house and then through a door into the garage. And here were four of the most beautiful cars I've ever seen. He'd bought them all brand new. None of them had more than two or three hundred miles on them. He'd take one out and drive it for a mile or so and bring it back in. We went, oh, I was just so thrilled to see all these. We got inside and we sat down. She made us some coffee and late afternoon. And she said, Bob, before Dave gets here, I think you should know that what you just saw in the garage is not only his first love, it's his only love. He stays in medicine simply to be able to do that. And he said, these are just four. He has a warehouse someplace else with others. And she said, those cars are now between me and Dave. And he has driven them between us and between our children. Dave did come home within the hour, happy-go-lucky, freewheeling, Sort of a guy. It was later that night when the gals had gone to bed. And we'd watch the news that night. I said, Dave, I said, uh, tell me about how things are going. Oh, going great, Bob. I said, no, come on. Let down the defense. How are things really going? You know, that's tough, isn't it? <laughs> it's tough to let down the defense. We want guys to think, yeah, everything is Jake. So I started in. I said, how are things between you and Nancy? Why'd you bring that up? She been talking to you? No, I'm just, that's, you know, always a concern. Things between Mary and I is one of the first places. Well, he said, I must well be honest with you. He said, have you talked to Norton? And I said, yeah, I have. He said, what did he say? And he said, well, he hasn't been able to get a hold of you. Yeah, he said, I just haven't wanted to face him. He said, uh, Bob, he said, you know, that night there when I prayed to God, I meant it. But as time has gone along, I realize that the issues are pretty tough. And I am not sure I want to pay the price. Right now, there are other things. And I'll have to be honest with you, Bob. There's another woman. Said, does Nancy know? No, but I think she guesses. Fellas, it can end that way for any of us, huh? I am not beyond it. The stakes are high. And when he says to me, Bob, if you have put your hand to that plow, that purpose, that which God has said I want you to do with your life, When you said, I want to follow you, I want to be your disciple, that's putting the hand to the plow. Everything else becomes secondary, as important as it is, huh? And it is important. But what is top priority? And that's why I'm so thrilled tonight that we're going to have the privilege of remembering the Lord's death till He comes. And as we partake tonight, and you have put your hand to the plow, let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Maybe like one of these fellows. Lord, I want to follow you after a tremendous weekend like this. (laughs) But then the excuses begin to pop in. But, (laughs) well, I will, you know. Let's be honest with God. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any, any wicked way in me. And you know he will. That's one of the top. You ask God to do it and he will. He'll put his finger on it. Before we drink of the cup tonight. Before we break the bread. Let's make sure that everything is right between myself and my Savior. After all he's done for me, how can I do less than give him my best and live for him completely? After all he's done for me. I press toward the mark For the prize of the high calling of God In Christ Jesus Our Father in Heaven Burn Luke 9.62 into our hearts As you say Bob Tom Bill George, Dave, if you have put your hand to that plow, don't look back. I'll be there with you. Keep your eye on the goal. Keep your eye on Jesus Christ. Keep your eye on the objective Bob Reestablish your priorities tonight I went to the cross For you What are you going to do for me Only one life will soon be passed Bob I've given you 74 years. Soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Quietly, help us to prepare our hearts for the coming moments. In thy name, amen.